The Pacific Crest Trail. It's famous worldwide for its beauty, its serenity, and also its downright terrifying stories. Whether it be run-ins with the elusive Sasquatch of the Pacific Northwest, or it be some creepy hiker trying to take your life, these stories will truly keep you up tonight. Welcome back to the swamp, my friends, and welcome if you're new. It's good to see you made it back for another episode. Today I'm going to be sharing some creepy and allegedly true Pacific Crest Trail horror stories that will creep you out tonight. As always, if you have a story that you would like to share in a future episode, be sure to submit your story at swampdweller.net or the email you can find in the description down below. I would love to share your story with everyone here in the swamp. Now, without further ado, let us jump right into these creepy and allegedly true Pacific Crest Trail horror stories. You can call me Leapfrog. That was my trail name, and this is the scary stuff I experienced on the Pacific Crest Trail in the summer of 2016. I'm from Texas. Just graduated college with one of my best friends and his cousin. We'll go by their trail names as well, Paperboy and Chaps. We were dead set on hiking the Pacific Crest Trail. My friend had experience doing week-long treks and was an Eagle Scout, whereas Chaps and I were pretty novice hikers. Because of this, I decided to skip the desert and join them on the trail in the high Sierras once they got there. Once I arrived in Lone Pine, California, it only took a week into hiking for chaps to run out of money and unfortunately must depart from the trail. It sucked, not just because we lost an awesome friend that made our hiking group a lot of fun, but it also meant I was losing my hiking partner. You see, on the trail, you have a main group of hikers you head out on the trail with when leaving the town you've been resting at. You stay together for as long as you can, but as days go on, you gradually move at your own pace of hiking and soon separate. Without chaps, I never really tried to keep up with the ridiculously fast pace of my other friends, so many days of hiking were spent alone, and to be honest, it was amazing to be alone. Cowboy camping under the stars in the Sierras in Northern California wilderness it was pure ecstasy. You can feel one with nature and on top of the world. It can also, however, leave you vulnerable. Fast forward two weeks into hiking, separated from my main group all this time. Cell service is limited, and I finally get a hold of Paperboy. He tells me to meet up with him and his crew in Belden, California for a music festival. I felt compelled to catch up with them there. It was 60 miles from where I was, down near Truckee, California. So, I kick it into high gear and try to crush out as many miles as I can. After realizing I'm not going to make it in time and there's no real chance of catching a hitch in the middle of nowhere, I make one of the smartest decisions of my life. I get off the trail and cut across desolate dirt roads and trails that would seem to get me there faster. I set up camp and make some ramen and powder eggs and get to bed early as usual. I wake up suddenly to the sound of deep, rhythmic sniffing outside of my tent. I hear coyotes, deer, and other animals outside of my tent quite often, and making the slightest bit of noise will usually make them scurry off. So, I hear this thing sniffing, and simply roll over in my sleeping bag. In the blink of an eye, I hear a literally ground-shaking stomp, and my eyes are suddenly bulging awake. In a matter of 15 seconds, I go from curious to pure primal petrification. 
When it made the noise, it sounded like a person jolting to their feet, startled and defensive. The size required to make that booming stomp couldn't possibly be human, I thought. This is the realization that really makes me pee my pants. After this initial stomp, everything went dead silent. There wasn't a sound from whatever lurked outside my tent, and it's the middle of July. There were no bugs chirping at all. This is highly unusual. This is the point where I reached a state of complete petrification. My eyes were shaking, staring into the corner of my tent, but I couldn't move a muscle even if I tried. I could barely breathe. I was very closed-minded before this experience and thought such four stories of spooks and cryptids were complete nonsense. But here I was, alone in the woods, no one around to hear me scream and at the mercy of some giant, quiet creep. My panic was so extreme, and I just kept waiting to hear any other noise after the stomp. I heard nothing, and eventually, I just passed out from pure exhaustion. In the morning, I tore down my camp as soon as possible, and sprinted for the road, begging for a ride out of the nightmare. And, by the grace of all the higher powers up there, I did just that. I made it to the festival, stayed as close to my friends to the rest of the NorCal and Oregon route, and it was nothing but smooth sailing until we got to Washington. Washington is a beast all its own. The very look of the landscapes looks like a place forgotten by time. I had gotten back my confidence to hike alone and put that terrifying experience behind me. In Washington, most of our crew had dropped out and it was only me, Paperboy, and Mittens left from the original crew. Mittens and Paperboy were always the fastest, so the writing was on the wall. From the moment I stepped on the Yakima Reservation of the trail to the moment I quit the trail in Skycomish, Washington, there was this unshakable, undeniable sense of being watched constantly. I would turn around 200 to 300 yards quickly just to make a quick view of the area. I was so sick of the paranoia. It really wasn't worth it to me anymore. So I got off in Skycomish, Washington, leaving Paperboy and Mittens among so many others to finish the epic journey from Mexico to Canada. Tragically, some never made it off the trail. One man by the trail name of Sherpa, I met him near the start of my hike on the PCT. He was hiking alone in Washington and vanished without a single trace. It's spring 2019 and they still haven't found any clues as to what may have happened to him. This is exactly why I feel it's important for me to share this story. Long distance hiking is becoming more and more popular with novice suburbanites and yuppie hikers and I'm not trying to scare you away from this truly incredible and beautiful growing experience. However, it is far from a playground. A simple fact of the deep woods is there are simply things we can't comprehend. Educate yourself on the ancient history of the land and don't just take the history for myth. Always be wary of your surroundings. Listen to your gut and your primordial instincts. If something doesn't feel right, leave. As we say in the thru-hiker community, the trail is always there. When I would hear the adage, right place at the right time, I'd think to myself, yeah, okay, it's all just coincidence. But after what I've been through these past six weeks, my mind is changing. Maybe you are put in a specific place at a specific time for a reason, but I digress. As most of you know, the Pacific Northwest, for those unfamiliar, 
was recently ravaged by an ungodly number of wildfires. Seeing all the little fire emojis dotted all around the maps of California, Oregon, and Washington made my heart ache. My home was burning, fortunately for myself and my family. Our area had not been hit as hard as many others. I had planned on camping for quite a few weeks prior to this pandemic of wildfires, so I was happy to see that my usual spot was not near any major fires and subsequently had been deemed safe to camp and travel in. I am a camping enthusiast and enjoy deep wilderness camping on the Pacific Crest Trail as much as I can. My usual spot is remote. It requires an hour drive up a two-lane road into the middle of nowhere. This is followed by a 30-minute drive up an old logging road that ultimately crests a small mountain. The mountain slope leads into a beautiful valley, with much larger mountains encircling the valley from the north and east. In the center was a decently sized clearing, a valley if you will. The clearing was littered with fallen logs, beautiful pink and yellow yarrow flowers, and the occasional family of white-tailed deer. This was my true happy place. This valley does have a name, but I will keep it hidden for anonymity purposes. I left on a Tuesday morning in early September. The drive to the mountain was relatively uneventful. Besides almost hitting a large buck who decided to cross the road right in front of my truck, I arrived on the mountain's crest and began unpacking the bed of my truck. I had just recently bought a new 2020 Toyota Tacoma. I parked my truck facing the clearing. Roughly five feet from the edge of the small drop-off, the slope down to the valley wasn't steep and is very easy to hike down. I would definitely call it a beginner's trail. I'd say it's about 400 to 450 feet from where I parked down to the valley floor. I had camp set up just as dusk was setting. I usually would have a large fire going, but with the previously mentioned wildfires, that was not really going to be possible. I brought a small propane stove and a space heater to prevent any accidents. As I finished gulping down my last bite of dinner, I noticed it was quickly growing dark. I hopped off my tailgate and made it into my driver's side door. As I was digging in my pockets for my keys, I looked down into the valley and noticed something quite strange. I could make out two circular small lights in the far distance. They flickered as they quickly moved closer to the clearing. It looked as if they were hovering and navigating through the trees at a steady pace. I crouched down in front of the truck and looked on, curiously. I watched for a few minutes until the lights eventually arrived at the tree line of the clearing. I could hear the humming of a motorcycle engine or something like that echoing from the valley. That's when I realized what I was staring at. What on earth were these two people doing riding dirt bikes all the way out here, in the dark? This was the first time I had ever seen another person out there. The lights were stationary at this point. I assumed the two riders were off their bikes and walking around the clearing. Although that is only speculation, as I couldn't see anything aside from the two bike headlights. I knew they couldn't see me as of yet, as I had no visible lights or a campfire. I instantly thought to grab my phone out of my glove box. Local news stations warned the public of suspected people intentionally starting fires in the woods. They encouraged citizens to be vigilant and gather any evidence they could. In an absolute lapse of judgment, I pressed the unlock button on my keys. My truck lights flashed, and a loud beeping sound rang out. I had just given a beacon of my location to these midnight riders. In a rush of adrenaline, I threw myself on the ground stomach first. My mind was screaming, Good going, Einstein! I could barely think as my heart was pounding in my ears. 
I watched as the bike lights began to turn back in the direction they came from and eventually disappeared into the darkness. I could hear the engines revving harder than they had before. That unsettled me a bit. As I stood up and brushed myself off, I began thinking about how odd it was. Usually, people with good intentions do not run off like that when they notice another camper. These people were obviously up to no good down there. Maybe drug traffickers, meth cookers, arsonists. My mind was filled with all the potential threats I might have alerted to my location. I sat in my truck and mulled over the options. Should I drive home? What if they were waiting for me at the end of the logging road? Was I overreacting? I decided to pack up camp and spend the night in my truck and drive home first thing in the morning. After packing everything up, I drove down the logging road a little way and backed into a small gap in the mountain face. That way, if the midnight riders decided to pay me a visit, they might miss me. I was in full paranoia mode. I lowered my seat back, racked around in my shotgun, and eventually dozed off as adrenaline turned into exhaustion. I awoke to my alarm, with my life for hire by a day to remember blaring from my phone. In a groggy daze, I sat up and rubbed my eyes. My phone said 6.32am. Looking at my windshield, I could see some thick brown smoke swirling in the wind. As I stepped out of my truck, I was hit with the intense smell of burning wood. As you guessed it, there was a fire very close by. I jumped back into my truck and raced back up the mountain. From my camping spot, I'd be able to get a better understanding of the situation. As I drove up way too fast up this narrow logging road, I noticed the smoke was thinning out as my elevation grew. My heart sank at this realization. When I reached the crest, I jumped out into the truck bed and looked out over the valley. I could see blue skies above the mountains across from me, to the north and east. My heart sank as I confirmed my suspicion. I turned towards the logging road to my right. I could see the smoke thicken from that direction. I was trapped. My mind instantly went to the two riders from the previous night. I grabbed my phone, praying for a signal. Of course, I had no such luck. I jumped off my truck bed and threw my passenger door open. I frantically searched for my backpack. I ripped it apart. Once I found it, looking for my GPS satellite phone, I kissed it with joy when I grabbed it from the bottom of the bag, flipped it open, and thanked the Lord, I had a signal. I called 911 to report the fire and request help. I chatted with the operator for somewhere around 15 minutes or so. The operator said she'd connect and have local wildlife firefighting companies come out ASAP and attempt to get a helicopter to evacuate me. After being on hold for a few minutes, I was transferred to a helicopter pilot with a wildland firefighting company that was nearby. I mentioned the valley by name and the man said he knew where it was. He claimed they were sending a helicopter to pick me up and that I needed to be there and ready to leave as soon as they landed. After we disconnected, I rushed to clear out my truck of any valuables. Sadly, rubbed the dashboard and said sorry to my new truck as it was evident the fire would eventually consume her. I then gradually started making my way down the slope into the valley. After only falling a few times, I reached the valley floor. I bolted through the trees towards the clearing. My lungs were on fire as I was nearing the clearing. As I broke through the tree line, I collapsed on the ground, gasping for air. After only a few minutes of lying there, catching my breath, I got back into my feet. I started walking towards the center of the clearing. When I got to what I assumed was the center, I glanced up at the peak of the small mountain. I could see my bright red truck sitting there where I left it. Roughly 200 feet off the left was a wall of fire. Black smoke was rising from the wall as it raced up the mountain. I turned away not wanting to watch $39,000 literally go up in flames. I began scanning the skies searching for my rescue. I concentrated on listening to the chopping sounds of helicopter rotors. 
As I stood there listening, I heard something else that made me question my sanity. Just off to my left, I could hear someone crying. A shockwave ran through me. I stood there unable to believe my ears. I upholstered my handgun and called out. Hello? Someone there? I then began to hear a muffled screaming. I ran towards the screaming and trying to hold back tears. I noticed a piece of plywood, roughly four feet wide, eight feet long, covered in branches and dirt. It was laying on the ground with a large boulder set on top. I called out, Hello? I heard the muffled screaming again, this time much louder and unmistakable. Is someone really under this plywood? I thought to myself. I rushed to move the boulder. After struggling for a few minutes, I finally managed to push the boulder off the plywood. I slowly lifted it up and threw it to the side. What I saw was something I will never forget. Sitting inside a small hole, probably no bigger than four feet by four feet, was a woman. Her wrist zip-tied and her mouth gagged with a piece of cloth. I gasped and took a step back. I couldn't believe it. What the hell was going on? The woman was frantically looking around. I snapped out of shock and rushed to help her. She flinched as I reached out to grab her. I lifted her out of the hole. I took the cloth from her mouth as she frantically started yelling in Spanish and raising her arms. I told her to calm down. You're safe now. I cut the zip ties that were binding her wrist. She instantly started pointing behind me, repeating, Mijija! I didn't understand her or really what that meant. I knew no Spanish. I turned around and quickly see four more pieces of plywood scattered across the clearing. I was horrified. I rushed over and started to flip them over one by one, but they were empty. The woman, following me as I did this, let out a painful cry as I flipped the last piece of plywood over, exposing a fourth and final empty hole. She collapsed on the ground and began sobbing. I tried to ask her what was wrong, but I couldn't understand her. As I attempted to console her, I could hear the distinct sound of helicopter rotors. I looked up to see the chopper descending into the valley. I helped the woman up and put her arm over my shoulder as we rushed away to the awaiting chopper. A man jumped out of the side doors. As we reached out, he said, You didn't tell us there was two of you. I yelled back, trying to be heard over the rotors. I just found her. I have no idea what is happening. He replied with, y You found her. What are you? Never mind. We don't have time. Get in. He helped me get into the helicopter and shut the doors. Soon after we started to ascend, I looked down over the valley to see the fire engulf the peak and was halfway down the slope towards the valley. I sat back in relief. I was finally safe, but I had so many questions. The state police and EMTs met us as we landed back at the base camp. I explained the entire situation and they took the woman and me back to the station. Eventually, I was released after retelling my story to six different officers. My wife picked me up and I was able to return home. That was not the end, unfortunately. Over the last six weeks, I have been interviewed by local authorities, state authorities, the U.S. Marshals, ICE, and even a pair of FBI agents. My final interview was with the two FBI agents. They were the only ones who gave me any real information on the situation. After retelling my story just as I did here, they filled in some holes for me. They explained to me I most likely stumbled upon a human trafficking operation. When I unlocked my truck, it spooked them. He said I was lucky that I hid in that gap when I did as they most likely went up the logging road to quote-unquote handle me. When they couldn't locate me, they probably assumed I had left to get the police, so they packed up any valuable assets, including the woman's young daughter, and started a fire to destroy any evidence before I could alert the authorities. I asked about the girl. The older agent informed me that she and her daughter were kidnapped from Nicaragua. The woman claimed that they were set to be sold to a wealthy Russian ogliarch. She was being held in government custody until she could be returned home safely, he said. She's lucky you came along when you did. You were at the right place at the right time. 
fresh out of high school, my friends and I decided to take one last trip together before we all split up to go to college. The Pacific Crest Trail was the destination. A few nights of drinking, hiking, and camping was exactly what we needed together. Ian, my boyfriend, picks me up from my house. I've never been to the Pacific Crest Trail, so he tries describing its beauty the best he can. Babe, you're gonna love it, I promise. Nothing but fresh air and wilderness. We will be one with nature. I'm not so sure Mother Nature would approve of the ungodly amount of alcohol you have in the cooler. Well, what about this? Ian pulls out a sandwich-sized Ziploc bag of weed. I know Mother Nature would approve of this. She grew it. You've been holding out on me, I said, snatching the bag from his grip. I open it and take a deep breath inhaling the familiar aroma. It's a long ride. Might as well roll one up for the road. Sounds good. I'll call the others and get them to meet us at the location. Ian connects his phone on his Jeep radio, putting on his 80s hair metal playlist. I light the freshly rolled joint, and we settle in for a road trip. We decided to meet up at the Bridge of Gods. The Bridge of the Gods sits at the convergence of the historic Columbia River Highway State Trail, three national historic trails, and the Pacific Crest Trail. We walk over the bridge together being extra careful because there is no shoulder on the narrow bridge, and we must share with cars and trucks. We make it across with no problem and hike for a while until we decide to go off trail to find a spot to set up camp by the river. Three tents between six people, Nova and his girlfriend Tessa, the twins Sadie and Katie, and finally myself and Ian. I sit back with a black cherry white claw and take in the beautiful, beautiful surroundings. The sky let out an orange glow as the sun sank behind the jagged mountains. The mountains came down to meet the cold, untamed river. Nova and Ian began to make a fire before the night came. As the darkness falls, the alcohol flows. The flicker of the flame lights the night. We all reminisce about high school and talk about all that we would like to do for our future. Ian gets quiet and stares off into the darkness that is the river. What's up, Ian? I ask. I think I can see the outline of a boat floating not far off the bank. We all look in that direction, Ian pointed. Yeah, I think I see it too, Katie said. Nova walks over to his backpack and pulls something out. He twirls it in his hand and looks at it for a moment, before putting it in the direction of what we think is the boat. Is that a gun? Put that up, Nova. I spoke. Chill out, Brittany. It's just a flare gun. Ian said as he grabbed my hand to calm me. Nova pulls the trigger, and a trail of light streaks out towards the boat. It lights up the immediate area around the dark outline. It was a boat. Not just our mind playing tricks on us in the dark. Two people stood in the flat-bottom boat, looking our way. They wore orange hoodies that hid their face. Oh my god. People are watching us, Sadie said. Get the hell out of here, you damn weirdos. Nova shouted. Nova and Ian began picking up rocks on the riverbank and throwing them at the boat. After a few moments, we could hear the engine start and drive away. We finally get over being freaked out. We did our best to put the incident behind us and continue drinking and partying throughout the night before eventually passing out in our tents. I woke the following day to a commotion outside. I unzipped the tent and dragged myself out. The sun hit my eyes, and I winced as a sharp pain shot through my head. 
drinking obscene amounts of alcohol seems like a great idea until the next day. When you have to wake up with a splitting headache and you get a queasy gut. I see Ian with his hands clasped on top of his head, standing in front of a flat bottom boat and sat on the riverbank on our campsite. Ian, what's wrong? What's going on? I ask. These assholes from last night, they docked our boat here and stole all of our supplies while we were sleeping. Nova walks up behind us. I'm having trouble finding the trail. I have some food and water stashed away in my tent. Let's refuel and go look like a group. After eating, with no supplies, we decided to cut our trip short, pack up, and look for the trail we strayed from to get to this riverbank. Let's split up, Nova said. We can go in pairs of two. Try not to stray too far from the others, so if you find the trail, you can alert the others by yelling. Nova and Tessa enter the woods, Sadie and Katie enter about 20 yards away, and Ian and I do the same. Ian grabs my hand and he leads the way. We say nothing to each other, only the sound of twigs breaking and brush under our feet fill the silence. I think I see something, Ian said. I look around to try and see what he sees, and that's when I notice it. I think we both figure out what it was at the same time by the terrified look we gave each other. To our left, a man in a bright orange hunting hoodie stood several yards away. He didn't move. He just looked at us. A camouflaged ski mask covered his face. He didn't move even when we ran into the opposite direction of him. Even without being chased, we ran as fast as we could, leading to me tripping over some undergrowth and falling. My extended hands were the only thing stopping me from slamming my face into the unforgiving ground. A sharp pain shot through my wrist into my elbow. I let out a yelp in pain. I'm not sure if it's broken, but I know it's at least sprained. The price I had to pay to save my face from colliding with the forest floor. Ian quickly comes to my side, helping me up and inspecting the hand. I held it close to my body. He flexed the wrist, sending a shockwave of pain through my arm, causing me to jerk my hand away. Behind him I noticed some movement. It was one of the men in the orange hoodie stepping out from behind some trees. I point a shaky finger behind Ian at the man. Ian glances over his shoulder to see what has me so shaken. We'll check this out later. Right now we have to run. Ian grabs my elbow, careful not to touch my hurt wrist. We make a hard left and quickly make our way to what is hopefully the trail we came in on. We break through the trees, but it, it's not the trail. It's a small clearing. It looks like someone has recently been here. A still smoldering fire set in the center of the small clearing. Sadie and Katie break through the brush into the clearing a few feet away from where we came in, followed by Nova and Testa shortly to the right of where we came in. We all share stories, and they all sound very similar. These men funneled us to this spot, Katie said. Why do they want us here? What, what do they want? Nova responded. Well, you did shoot a flare at them, I say to Nova. The creeps were floating there watching us. What was I supposed to do? Stop fighting. It'll get us nowhere. We need to figure out how to get back to the trail, Sadie interrupted. We looked around the clearing. It was roughly about half the size of an NFL football field. There was nothing out of the ordinary other than the smoldering pile of coals left behind. Let's turn around, together, and enter the woods and search for the trail. It has to be close, Ian said. We began to walk towards the section of woods we had entered the clearing through, and several of the men with orange hoodies and camouflage masks stepped out of the tree line. 
we turned as a group and began running in the opposite direction. We got halfway to the other side of the clearing before there were more men wearing the same orange hunting hoodies and camouflage masks stepping out. More emerged from the tree line surrounding us. I'm pretty sure there were 12 of them in total. Some of them had rifles in hand. Our group huddles together as it looked like these hunters were slowly closing in around us. Two hunters grab the twins, Sadie and Katie, and begin to drag them away, kicking and screaming. Ian and Nova run towards the two hunters that grab the twins. Nova throws a punch that connects with the hunter's chin and drops him to the ground. Nova grabs Sadie by the hand to help her up when a loud boom fills the air. The unexpected explosion temporarily disorients me. My ears ring. I look around confused about what just happened and where the explosion came from. I hear Sadie let out a terrified scream. I look to see her coated in blood and Nova lying on the ground beside her. Ian turns around running away from the scene unfolding before us. The look of fear in his face let me know exactly what had just happened. One of the hunters with a rifle had shot Nova. Ian took about two steps before another shot rang out. Blood spray came out of the side of Ian's head like a lawn sprinkler. Ian drops mid-stride, pulls her into the nearest tree line, and I hush her, violent screams. No additional words are needed as we began to both sprint away from the chaos. I feel terrible about leaving Sadie and Katie to die. But any other action than what I took would have led to all of our deaths. I could hear the hunters scrabbling after us. At least, that's what was running through my mind at that moment. Tessa and I ran full speed for what felt like miles. My legs burned, my lungs hurt, and I would not dare to slow down. To my relief, we stumbled upon the trail. I look around to regain my sense of direction. The bridge is this way, I yelled to Tessa, and we began sprinting again. We ran to the bridge, where we flagged down a car, and they called the emergency number to alert the police. I was frantic trying to explain to the officer what I saw, that we ran off leaving our friends to die. Tessa could only weep. She tried to tell her version, but she couldn't get the words out. Tessa was physically shaking, and instead of words, vomit was the only thing that came from her mouth. Several hours had passed, and the sun was starting to set when the officers found my friends. The hunters had erected two wooden crosses that Sadie and Katie hung from. Their abdomens sliced open, and the twins were connected by their intestines tied together. Their guts decorated the wooden structure they hung from like a set of gory Christmas lights. Ian and Nova lay at the foot of the crosses. I don't know the reason behind the gruesome slaughter of my friends, but I do know I'll never revisit the Pacific Crest Trail. This story occurred in the summer of 2008. I grew up in Oregon and was acquainted with the outdoors at an early age. My favorite hobby came to be hiking, particularly in the areas that are either very dangerous or isolated. The health benefits of hiking were secondary to the thrills of walking the edges of exposed cliffs, being in cougar and bear territory, and knowing that I was far from help. Into the Wild was released in the fall of 2007 and I immediately fell in love. Being a high school senior, I could barely go another week living in my parents' house. The movie spoke to my sense of adventure and inspired me to hike the California portion of the Pacific Crest Trail upon graduation. I made it from the Mexico border to Northern California without much incident. I saw rattlesnakes and bears, experienced dehydration, 
but nothing happened that made me fear for my life. Somewhere in the Lassen National Forest in northeastern California, I walked around a bend in the trail only to be startled by two people sitting on a rock dressed in nearly all white. The faces were dirty, their appearance disheveled, and the man had a long, unkept beard. Both seemed to be in their 40s. They looked like the couple who kidnapped Elizabeth Smart. What struck me as odd about the encounter was encountering anybody at all. I frequently went days without seeing a single human being. Their white clothes could be explained away by the need to escape the California sun. Their scruffy appearance could be explained away by the fact that most thru-hikers abandon personal hygiene on the trail. After I said hello, they said nothing and simply watched me as I passed. Even that, I didn't find too odd. I chalked it up to them being foreign and not knowing what to say. I camped a few hundred yards off the trail that night, as I always did. Following bare precautions, I hung up the leftover food I had cooked that night from a tree, approximately five feet or so off the ground. Packing up camp in the morning, I noticed the food was not there. I immediately thought it was a bear. Maybe it had entered my campsite, so I began to look for paw prints. I didn't find any paw prints, but I did find boot prints circling the campsite. Two pairs of them. One of these pairs led right up to the rope from which the food was hanging. I thought of the people I had passed earlier, and everything I quit. And everything had clicked. I quickly packed up and left. My mind was racing the entire day, but I figured the couple was simply hungry. If they had nefarious intentions, they would have come for more than the food, right? Several days had passed and my mind was at ease again. I began to circle my campsite with sticks to wake me up in the event of an intruder, animal, or otherwise. I awoke in my tent one night to the sound of those sticks crunching. I grabbed my hunting knife. I tried to relax by telling myself that in the middle of nowhere, the source of that noise is more likely to be an animal than a person. Then, I heard frantic whispering. It was impossible to tell which direction the voices were coming from. Being in the dark, surrounded by trees, a hundred miles or so from the nearest city, plays tricks on your senses. I debated yelling out, claiming to have a gun, but instead decided to be silent and retain the benefit of surprise. I heard footsteps circling my tent and was ready to slash and just destroy whatever was going to open it. But just like that, it was over. No more footsteps, no more whispering. I lied frozen awake in my tent until sunrise. Eventually, I opened my tent to find nobody there. The only evidence something had happened was the boot prints, the same as before. Several days had passed, and I was now in Shasta National Forest, probably 50 to 75 miles from where I first encountered the couple. The trail became a goat trail. Being on the side of a mountain and above the tree line, I could see the trail winding for miles in front of me and behind me. I stopped for water in the rare shade and noticed two hikers miles behind me. All I could see were two white dots moving along the mountainside. I immediately said out loud, Man, F this, this trip is over. I pulled out my map and looked for the nearest town, which appeared to be Castella, located off I-5. The only problem was, is it was still 25 miles away. I hiked well into the night trying to gain as much ground as possible. I kept losing the trail and decided to set up camp, this time far off the trail and into the forest. I got in my tent and tried my very best to sleep, but every little noise kept me awake. After a few hours in my tent, I heard the telltale signs of another bad night. The footsteps, the whispering, the sticks breaking. Sound travels far in the absence of another sound. 
I knew they were close, but wasn't sure how close. All I could think was, this is messed up. This is so messed up. Finally, a flashlight hits my tent, lights up the entire thing and goes dark. I unzipped my tent and climbed out carrying my knife, yelling nonsense into the dark. It was sort of like that cliche scene in movies where people in the wilderness hear sticks breaking around them and the camera pans around the trees because the people have no idea which direction the sound is coming from. Then I heard footsteps running towards the tent and barely made out a figure moving in my peripheral vision. I turned and ran deep into the forest. I tripped several times and ran into several trees. After running for approximately five minutes, I tripped, rolled, and came to a rest next to a downed tree. I got under the tree trunk and laid still. I saw the flashlight moving around in the distance. I laid under the tree for what felt like hours, but I couldn't tell you exactly how long it was. I waited until I was certain that they were gone, but I didn't move. Eventually, birds started chirping and I knew sunrise would come soon. Once it did, I made my way back to the trail, abandoned my campsite, and walked the rest of the distance to Castella, where the Pacific Crest Trail crosses I-5. I hitchhiked my way down to the town of Mount Shasta and spoke to the police and forest service. They put me up in a motel for the night, and my parents drove to Oregon to pick me up the next day. I followed up with the police and forest service months later, who told me that there had been similar reports of items disappearing from campsites throughout the surrounding national forest. However, there had been no other reports of the terrorizing that I experienced. As far as I know, nothing ever came of the couple. Thanks for listening to these creepy and allegedly true Pacific Crest Horror Stories. If you enjoyed these stories, please be sure to hit that like button as it helps me out a ton. The more likes this episode gets, the more YouTube promotes it to fresh new eyes, and that's incredibly helpful to the swamp. If you're new to the swamp, why not join us? Hit that subscribe button and be sure you turn on notifications to never miss a new episode as I upload them almost every single day and all things natural and supernatural. If you're listening to this on Apple Podcasts or Spotify, please be sure to give this episode a 5-star rating as it helps us grow over there. If you have a story that you would like to share in a future episode, be sure to submit it at swampdweller.net or the email you can find in the description down below. I'd love to share your story with everyone here in the swamp. It's stories like yours that truly help keep this show going on a daily basis. If you're on the go but don't have YouTube Premium, but would like to download and listen to your favorite Swamp Dweller scary stories no matter where you are, you can download them absolutely free from Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher Radio, and just about anywhere else you find your favorite podcast online. If you would like to support the Swamp outside of hitting that like button, subscribing, and giving us a 5-star rating, maybe check out the merch store. I've got t-shirts, hoodies, and more. I'd love to see you guys wearing some cool Swamp threads. Or maybe you could support the channel by becoming a member. I have exclusive content and other cool things coming out this year for you guys over there. Thank you guys as always for supporting the swamp the way you do. I couldn't do this without you all. Let me know in the comments down below what your favorite story was tonight. And I'll see you all soon with another creepy video.